The following is a Podcast One Minnesota production. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Oh, you betcha, yeah. If it's made in Minnesota, who's making it and how? Yeah, you got that right. It's the makers of Minnesota, focusing on the products and services uniquely made in Minnesota, and conversations with the makers, entrepreneurs, and innovators in Minnesota about how they conceived of their products and how they brought them to market. With Stephanie Hansen, it's the makers of Minnesota. It's Stephanie Hansen, and you're listening to The Makers of Minnesota. We are on episode 35. Thank you very much for listening. We really appreciate the support. Um, each week, you can find us at Podcast One. We can You can find us on My Talk 1071 on their um, website where the podcasts are listed. And you can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and on Twitter at Makers of MN. And if you have ideas of makers that we should be speaking to, please let us know. We love the opportunity to hear people's stories that are doing cool things in the state of Minnesota. And Andrew Muntz, you are here doing cool stuff. Um, Muntz Angling is the name of your company. And you created a term, Andrew, that I'd never heard before. Do you know which one it is? Uh, I do not. I'm going to have you pull the microphone just close to your mouth so that we can make sure that we hear you really, really close. You can pull it. There you go. I want to just make sure that we pick you up. So when I was at your website, you had a term that I'd never heard of called anglineering. Yes. You're uh, an anglineer. I guess that would be correct. Tell me about what it is that you're doing. You're, I mean, I can explain it, but you tell me what's in the box in front of you. Well, simply put, it would be uh, the combination of angling and engineering. So we're, I'm, what I'm trying to do is 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 put two concepts together. Uh, to improve the way that your everyday fishing lures will function. So you're making homemade lures, and I have to say our friends at Bolton Bees were the ones that referred me to you. Uh, and you brought a box here. Can you show me like a lure? I went on your website. It looks like you do lures for bass, big mouth, small mouth, mm-hmm. northern pike, and you're kind of the musky guy. Uh, yep, of Quite a bit of, the, of what I've been doing lately is musky related, yes. So will you show me, you brought a box in here. I want to see what a musky lure looks like because aren't musky just huge fish? They can be. You know, the, not every musky is big. Of course, they all start small and, you know, they're, they're just a little egg, but they can be, you know, as, as long as 60 inches. Yeah. You know, and there's, there's, you know, guys out there who are really uh, being into looking for these trophy fish all over the state, uh, you know, Wisconsin, Canada, um, you know, a lot of other states have great musky populations, too, so it's, it's a sport that's really uh, gaining a lot of popularity. So show me one of your musky lures, because sure. I can't imagine to get a fish that would be that big, do you need to have, like, an oversized lure? Well, this would probably be the one. It's uh, This is a what I call a, a double 10 double tail, and uh, it's about 15 inches long, so you need a pretty big fish to eat it. And it... So show me where they would bite, the fish would bite it. Would they bite it? It's got beautiful feathers. It looks almost like a feather duster, a mini feather duster. Definitely does. And uh, the hook is hidden in there. Yeah, the basically the soft materials, it would be the hair, the feathers, uh, marabou. Uh, they all conceal the you know basic uh, backbone of the construction um, that it's made out of. Um, so inside you've got uh, hooks... Essentially, you're gonna you're gonna hook it up here at the yep. eyelet, and you're gonna you know retrieve it 
So it goes this direction, and they're so going to typically going, bite it from the back. When it's going through the water, what? Because this t- it looks beautiful. It's like this mass of pretty colored flowers, like again a feather duster. When it's going through the water, what does the muskie think that is? Are you trying to make it look like something? Yeah, sometimes uh, this is a perch pattern. Uh, other other uh, patterns that I make, they really involve a lot of color. So it's either a pattern of something that they might eat, or it's a color that gets their attention. Okay, so it, I always thought that when you were making a fly or tying a fly that you were trying to make it look like something they would eat, but colors are also important? They are. Uh, what they say is that fish see ultraviolet light, so they don't necessarily see the same things that we do. So if you put an intense color like orange or green or purple in the water, they're going to see it uh, as a different spectrum. It, it will show up intense, but it may not actually look, say, purple yeah. to them. Oh, yeah. cool. So you're, that's, is that like the granddaddy of kind of what you make? Yeah, this is, um, this is the largest item that I'm making. Um, I, what this is, is a, it's a snagless bucktail. That's kind of the other popular, uh, thing about these. And, um, I do make six sizes of these, but essentially what they offer is they have, uh, these weed guards that just pop out. Yep. So it's, um, something that's internal to the, to the construction in order to get them this way. And so a snagless lure would mean if you were trolling, you would mm-hmm. be catching less weeds and whatever's on the bottom of the lake floor. Ideally, less weeds, more fish. Yeah. Um. So how did you... Okay, so the lure that you're holding, about how much does something like that cost? Uh, these are um, these are pretty much my high-end model um, as far as... My standard stuff goes. These are uh, $55 lure. Yep. Um, and would you be able to use it more than once if you didn't catch a fish with it? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, these are very durable, and, you know, they're they're made tough. Okay. Yeah. And then uh, you have a whole box of lures there. So mm-hmm. tell me about – you can put it back, but thank you for sure. showing it to me. It looks really cool. So how did you get into this? Were you just a kid and liked fishing? And Yeah, Um I guess I started with a hand-me-down box, you know, just your basic kid's tackle box. Yeah. Probably, you know, your dad gives you a bunch of hooks and bobbers and sinkers, and you start adding stuff up. Um, but what what really got me curious was when I got other people's tackle. Like, uh, my neighbor passed on when I was young, a good friend of mine, and he gave me his tackle box. Yeah. And so when I started going through there, there was things in there that I didn't even know what to do with. So I... I got curious and started playing around with stuff. And um, how old were you when you decided, like, hey, I'm going to start a business with this? It was about five years ago, and then I actually did it about three years ago. And is this your primary business? Yeah. So you're able to make a full-time living making lures. Yeah. Uh, I do guide uh, some in the summer to help. Supplement? Yep. Yeah. Yep. And what is your primary source of where do you sell these lures? Is it primarily from your website? Yeah, my website and eBay has has really been um, kind of the focus of of most of the sales. And then um, in Minnesota and Wisconsin, they have these uh, musky expos in the in the winter. Yeah, so I make sure to attend the expos that I can make enough lures for. Yeah, um, it's just me making them right now, so uh, I can make as many as I have time for. Is it, um, because your lures are handmade, it's a craft as much as, obviously, anything else. So you're limited in that you can only make so many. 
like, do you have the math in your mind of when I need to bring on another person to help me or when to go to a, is it possible to even go to a machine made situation? Uh, machine made with these is certainly not something that's going to happen. Okay. Um, but uh, definitely like if there was an experienced tire that was uh, willing to learn, you know, that, that might be on the horizon. Do you think about that? Like, how do you grow your business? Like, you can provide for your living now, but it, is it like, okay, that's good enough? Or do you want to grow and do you see, like, this becoming a larger enterprise? Uh, that's kind of up for debate. Um, the the response from lately has just been incredible. Um, I, I was really actually pretty surprised. Um, so I, I'm not really sure yet. Um, I, I really would like to grow the brand. Yep. Um, but I, you know, want to make sure the quality stays where it is. So you don't want to, um, put something out there that, you know, isn't up to, up to the grade that you've kind of set the standard for. It's a really interesting conundrum that makers have a lot of times Mm -hmm. is, you know, you have this product and you're very invested in the making of it and then the product gets successful and then to take it like from that tipping point of I've made it enough that I can support myself, but do I want this to be more of a business than that? It's something right. people really struggle with. Do you have like an advisory board or how do you think you'll be able to make that decision? Uh, I do not have Your an guts? advisory board. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would just say, yeah, definitely probably a gut, gut feeling would probably be the the best way to put it, yeah. When you wake up every day, do you have like, okay, today for six hours I need to be making lures, and for two hours I need to be doing marketing? Like, how do you manage your time? It's never the same uh, between you know listing things online or trying to put a product video together or uh, um, doing the the sponge painting that you see on these. They're you know they have two or three tone paint jobs. I got to do uh, all that all the components ahead of time before I can build them. Uh, you have to order a Quite a lot of materials to keep up with uh, lures that are the size of feather dusters. Do you have a shop or is this stuff like all over your living room? Classic basement builder. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yep. Um, so you're having to manage all of these things. I thought your website was pretty robust and you had a lot of videos. Is that something you've taught yourself or how much has social media impacted and just the web, your ability to be in business? Uh, web presence is good. You know, people are more into it every year. So yep. the more that you have out there, people can see, um, with the product too. Uh, I, I really noticed that whatever you're trying to sell, uh, it, it really helps to get a good viewpoint for people to really see how it works. Yep. Um, anybody can go into, you know, if these were just available in a store and you'd walk up and you'd look at it, you could see what it looks like. You could See how it kind of works, but you can't actually really see it in action. Um, but a video, you know, that's that's what's so neat about about now. Um, you can you can put everything right in front of people underwater. Uh, I put a GoPro camera right right under the water, and you can watch the bait just swim right in front of the lens, and people get a good idea exactly what they're getting before you know they actually see it in the water. Are um, you producing own. your own videos then? Yeah. How did you learn how to do that? Uh, I have I have a friend who's a videographer I've worked with, and um, he's given me some nice tips. Otherwise, uh, I figure out quite a, a few of the things on my own. Um, I have a little bit of a music background, so the audio, all that kind of stuff makes sense to me already. Yep. Mm-hmm. So you're lucky because that can really add up for people. Video production is kind of expensive. Obviously, iPhones, you can do it. 
but it takes a little bit of uh, trial and error. Yeah. Do you do um, a lot of like SEO and that sort of thing to get fishermen to your website, or how do people find out about you? Uh, the expos, there's kind of some chatter, um, I guess, that uh, goes around. Um, otherwise, I'm really just starting to advertise. Um, people might see it on eBay. Uh, <laughs> Are you advertising on eBay? Yeah, I list um, the new product line that I have of, of the Snagless Bucktails. Um, they 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 are listed on eBay as well as my website, so people see them, you know, U.S. and Canada mainly, and and um, and see them on there. Do you pick like um, if you're going to advertise on eBay? Do you pick like I want fishermen in this area and that make this income? Do they have like that kind of selection, just like they do for Facebook and some of the other sites? They might. I'm not actually even doing full ads on there. I've literally just uh, I'm waiting for people to key in. Bucktail, yep. You know, per per se. Um, so if if they just key it in and they're looking for you know snagless or or weedless bucktail, um, probably I'm going to show up right away and then I'm going to have about 120 listings. Yeah, because you're. Are there other people doing what you do, or are you in a fairly unique market? Uh, it's it's pretty niche right now. Yeah, yeah, that's neat. Yeah. Um, when you think about like is is making lures and making flies. And the fishing industry, I know it's grown a lot. Mm-hmm. You seem to be in this space of kind of the bigger and more difficult, I don't want to say difficult to catch, but fighter fish. Would that be Predatory accurate? fish. Yeah, thank yeah. you. I'm uh-huh. not a fisher person, so I'm looking for the right <laughs> word. Um, so that's a unique piece of real estate to be in, right? Yes, it, it really is. Um, it, just providing function to kind of something that's been done. For maybe already, oh, I don't know how far her bucktails would go back, but I've seen some vintage stuff in in cases I would think at least 50, 80 years. Um, This is, you know, something with a spinner on a, um, with a, you know, soft materials behind it has been around for a long time. Yeah. But, uh, you know, adding in uh, different features here uh, has kind of, you know, elevated it to a certain point. Uh, with these a lot of lures look like folk art i mean they're just so beautiful yeah they really are there's uh spearing decoys and 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 great paint jobs that people do out there and the cool thing about bait making is you can see what other people do and you can kind of retool it for what you do and there's a lot of ideas that are borrowed out there in the fishing community um the fly tying community a lot of those people have, have really been um you know, they've been there to kind of teach me yep. you know, what you can do with certain things. They're they're actually really skilled um, and, you know, often really quiet about it. Keep it close to the best. Um, and and it's nice when they, they share some of your their techniques with you. Did you take a class or how did you actually learn how to do it? I am self-taught. Uh, but I was given a fly tying kit probably when I was 12 and it sat for I don't know how long. Until I really had a need, I wanted to make something, and um, and and I started making uh, these uh, trout spinners actually. And uh, what's a trout spinner? Well, they're just they're basically a smaller version of these musky bucktails. Okay. So, um, what I did is I I had I wanted to add a different feature to something that uh, wasn't existing on on products that you could buy. Uh, so, I had to tie my own to make that feature possible and uh that's really what got me into interested in tying and and kind of 
moving forward with that. Otherwise, I really didn't have anything to do with it before. Um, but I will also say that my, my grandfather had a, a background in doing it, and I did a little bit of tying with him when I was very young, but yep. not near the depth. And uh, I really wish that I would have asked for his fly Don't tying materials. All, yeah. <laughs> so when you think, so you, you know, you're thinking about this in your mind for a couple of years before you do it. Mm-hmm. What made you decide this is the, like, I just need to do this now? Uh, probably when I applied for a patent. And tell me about that. It's a long process. It really is. Yeah. Did you have a patent attorney? Yep. And, uh, well, it's still pending. Okay. And we're, we're four years down the road right now. But um, what I what I came up with with the trout spinners is I, I wanted to put a place for, for anglers to grab uh, behind the bend of the hook. You can see it on this little guy. It What it is is it's a bead that kind of sits there behind the bend of the hook. And you wouldn't really think that's a really purposeful thing, but if you were to grab this bead and it's tied onto your your spinning rod, um, and you basically just pull back and use you basically load tension into the rod. Yep. And what you're doing is you're shooting the lure, which is really helpful if you're trying to fling this thing under a dock or a yep. tree, or you have trees behind you and you can't back pass. pass. Yeah. Yeah. So um, this is essentially a hook design that I've just you know tied up, uh, but it's very effective for. Uh, different situational fishing and you can put it on um, different spinners like uh, for trout that are small um, or anything up to you know say bass size that you would use a spinning rod for it really requires an open bale uh, to be able to uh, to do this um, to use the technique with with this cool Mm -hmm. so you are trying to patent the little piece yeah it's essentially a hook design there's a couple different ways of doing it um, but, uh, it would be, you know, similar to flipping if you were, uh, bass fishing. It was a technique that became really popular about 20 years or so ago. And, um, this is just a different way of doing it. And you get a, a longer, you can achieve a longer distance. Yep. Um, and it's really more point A to point B, just gravity assisted. Can you, um, when you started and you decided like, okay, I'm going to go into this and be more serious about it. Did you put money aside? How much money did you invest to start? Really didn't need a lot to invest um, to start. I mean, the parts for uh, the trout lures was pretty minimal. Yep. Um, you know, and and patent maintenance fees, uh, you know, or or attorney fees that come yep. up, they just you know here and there. It's it's uh, it, you know, it, I I was doing that while I was had a, a full time job. Sure. Mm-hmm. So did you benchmark how much to charge for your lures, or how did you know? Since this is kind of a unique space. When you're not manufacturing, I mean, you could call it small manufacturing, I guess, but when you're not able to compete with factories that can produce however many and get prices down where people are used to, you know, that's one thing. But if you're going to provide a quality product, I, I think people are willing to pay for it. And um, if you're making something more quality, uh, it might cost a little bit more, but yep. you're going to get a lot more function out of it. Can you tell me about the time that you saw someone using your lure and they caught a fish for the first time? Uh, Do you remember that? It was probably me. <laughs> <laughs> so, but uh, I did have a client of mine uh, when I was out on a local lake here and he was throwing one of my lures and, and he got a 50-inch muskie on uh, White Bear Lake locally. Yep. 
So it was nice to see that. Uh, he was very excited. I'm sure. And uh, I was excited, too, because uh, of the lure he caught it on. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, which is, was it the one of the big ones that you showed me originally? It, yeah, it was. One of the musky lures, yeah. Um, do you ever go out and not catch fish? Because that's my experience is just sitting there all day. Yes. And is that when you're a fisher person, does that happen like more than 10% of the time? Depends on when you decide to fish. Okay, so. Yep. If you want to go out in the middle of summer on a hot day and fish for muskies in the lake, you might have a tough time, but you might find them too. <laughs> That's usually when I'm fishing. No wonder. Uh-huh. Um, do you have other competitors that are in your same space? You said you're kind of unique. Uh, I don't know if anybody really has a similar design that, that I would consider a competitor. Um, I, I think there's a lot of people out there making bucktails. I know yeah. that. Um, but, uh, there's a lot of different things going on here. What a great, like, Father's uh, Day gift. Yeah. Yeah. My dad has a whole collection of them. I bet he does. <laughs> um, when you think about, uh, like, the summer's obviously your busy season, and then I'm assuming you tie, like, during the fall and the winter. Yeah. So do you have enough stock now to get you through if things get really busy, or how do, how do you manage that? I'm, I'm hoping so. Um, uh, I really... Just got pretty depleted because I had uh, three of those musky expos yep. in about a uh, six-week period. And uh, I tied for a while to make enough stock, but I, I was sold out of quite a few uh, of the items after the St. Paul show. It was back-to-back weekends after the Wausau show. Yeah. So that'll that'll make, you know, that'll make a lot of things disappear, but they, they are reappearing. So they are uh, What's the longest out. you've ever, like, had to sit and tie flies for one time, like one chunk? Probably. How long can you do it for? Uh, at the expos, I actually bring my workbench there, and I make uh, um, custom, just any color that people want, yeah. any size, any blade. And I think I did a 13-hour day. Wow. Um, I came in early because I had custom orders, and then once the show opened, I tied until it closed. And, oh, that must be hard. Like, your fingers must get just sore from all that fine work. Drink a lot of water, and your hands <laughs> won't cramp up. All right. So there you go. Uh, we are talking to Andrew Muntz. He owns a business called Muntz Angling. You can find him at MuntzAngling.com. Uh, any uh, fish secrets you want to share before we close out here? I don't think that would be fair. Oh! <laughs> do you always fish with lures, or do sometimes you fish with bait, too? Uh, I'm mostly a lure fisherman, uh, but uh, ice fishing or maybe early spring for crappies, I'll, I'll put on some minnows. Is um, there an advantage to lure fishing versus bait fishing? There can be, but I think there's probably more advantages to bait fishing. Really? So yeah. lure fishing might be a more sophisticated fisher person? Might be. Yeah, um, or it, someone who appreciates the craft. There's a there's a lot of different viewpoints on, on, on that, I, I would think. Um, some, you know, the fly fishing community, they, they like uh, artificial lures, yeah. but they prefer oftentimes single hooks. Um, it's easier on the fish. Uh, I have uh, limited amounts of treble hooks that are uh, pretty good for fish. Um, and then, you know, sometimes live bait can be uh, problematic for fish, but not always. Yeah, because so, they might swallow it or... Yeah. Yep. So it, it all everybody kind of has the thing that they like to do. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's been really interesting talking to you. Your lures look beautiful. Again, they look like, is it terrible to say, big feather dusters, but they're very pretty. Uh, thanks. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I've uh, I've made little feather dusters for my daughter, so yeah. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> yeah, she likes them too. 
<laughs> All right. Uh, it's Andrew Muntz. It's Muntz Angling. Uh, you'll be able to find him online at MuntzAngling.com. We will have a link um, to his website in our Facebook page and when we post. Also, um, you can find it at the Podcast One website. Thank you for being with us today. You're listening to the Makers of Minnesota. And again, if you have any suggestions for people that you think are interesting that we should talk to, just give us a ring on Facebook, on Twitter, or on Instagram, and we will uh, follow up on your leads. Thanks.